Although it was Hogswatch, the university buildings were bustling. Wizards didn't go to bed early in any case, and of course there was the Hogswatch night feast to look forward to at midnight. Often they lived to a timescale to suit themselves. Many of the senior ones, of course, lived entirely in the past, but several were like the Professor of Anthropics, who had invented an entire temporal system based on the belief that all the other ones were a mere illusion. Many people are aware of the weak and strong anthropic principles. The weak one says, basically, that it was jolly amazing of the universe to be constructed in such a way that humans could evolve to a point where they make a living in, for example, universities, while the strong one says that, on the contrary, the whole point of the universe was that humans should not only work in universities, but also write for huge sums books with words like cosmic and chaos in the titles. The UU Professor of Anthropics had developed the special and inevitable anthropic principle, which was that the entire reason for the existence of the universe was the eventual evolution of the UU Professor of Anthropics. But this was only a formal statement of the theory which absolutely everyone, with only some minor details of a fill-in-name-here nature, secretly believes to be true. And they're correct. The universe clearly operates for the benefit of humanity. This can be readily seen from the convenient way the sun comes up in the morning when people are ready to start the day. It would give some idea of the scale of the Hogswatch night feast that a light snack at UU consisted of a mere three or four courses, not counting the cheese and nuts. Some of the wizards had been practising for weeks. The dean, in particular, could now lift a twenty-pound turkey on one fork. Having to wait until midnight merely put a healthy edge on appetites already professionally honed. There was a general air of pleasant expectancy about the place, a general sizzling of salivary glands, a general careful assembling of the pills and powders against the time, many hours ahead, when eighteen courses would gang up somewhere below the ribcage and mount a counterattack. Ridcully stepped out into the snow and turned up his collar. The lights were all on in the high-energy magic building. "'I don't know, I don't know,' he muttered. Hogswatch night and they're still working. It's just not natural. When I was a student, I'd have been sick twice by now. In fact, Ponder Stibbons and his group of research students had made a concession to Hogswatch night. They'd draped Holly over Hex and put a paper hat on the big glass dome containing the main ant heap. Every time he came in here, it seemed to Ridcully something more had been done to the engine or, or thinking machine or whatever it was. Sometimes stuff turned up overnight. Occasionally, according to Stibbons, Hex himself, um, itself, would draw plans for extra bits that he, it, needed. It all gave Ridcully the willies, and an additional willy was engendered right now when he saw the bursar sitting in front of the thing. For a moment he forgot all about Verrucas. "'What are you doing here, old chap?' he said. "'You should be inside, jumping up and down to make more room for tonight.' "'There, uh, hooray for the pink, grey and green!' said the bursar. Uh, we thought Hex might be of, you know, help, sir, said Ponder Stibbons, who liked to think of himself as the university's token sane person. With the bursar's problem, we thought it might be a nice hog's watch present for him. Ye gods, bursar's got no problems, said Ridcully, and patted the aimlessly smiling man on the head, while mouthing the words mad as a spoon. Mind just wanders a bit, that's all. I said, mind wanders a bit, hmm? Only to be expected, spends far too much time adding up numbers. Doesn't get out of the fresh air. 
I said, you don't get out in the fresh air, old chap. We thought, er, uh, he might like someone to talk to, said Ponder. What? What? But I talk to him all the time. I'm always trying to take him out of himself, said Ridcully. It's important to stop him moping around the place. Er, uh, yes, certainly, said Ponder diplomatically. He recalled the bursar as a man whose idea of an exciting time had once been a soft-boiled egg. So, um, well, let's give it another try, shall we? Are you ready, Mr Dinwiddie? Yes, thank you. A green one with cinnamon, if it's not too much trouble. Can't see how he can talk to a machine, said Ridcully in a sullen voice. The thing's got no damn ears. Ah, well, in fact, we made it one ear, said Ponder. Um... He pointed to a large drum in a maze of tubes. "'Isn't that old Windle Poons's ear trumpet sticking out of the end?' said Ridcully suspiciously. "'Yes, Arch-Chancellor,' Ponder cleared his throat. <clears> throat. "'Sound, you see, comes in waves.' He stopped. Wizardly premonitions rose in his mind. He just knew Ridcully was going to assume he was talking about the sea. There was going to be one of those huge, bottomless misunderstandings that always occurred whenever anyone tried to explain anything to the Arch-Chancellor. Words like surf and probably ice cream and sand were just... It's all done by magic, Arch-Chancellor, he said, giving up. Ah, right, said Ridcully. He sounded a little disappointed. None of that complicated business with, with the springs and, and cogwheels and tubes and stuff, then? That's right, sir, said Ponder. Just magic. Sufficiently advanced magic. Fair enough. What's it do? Hex can hear what you say. Hmm, interesting. Saves all that punching holes in bits of cards and hitting keys you lads are forever doing, then. Watch this, sir, said Ponder. All right, Adrian. Initialize the GBL. How'd you do that, then? said Ridcully behind him. It means... Pull the great big lever, Ponder said reluctantly. Ah, takes less time to say. Ponder sighed. Yes, that's right, Arch-Chancellor. He nodded to one of the students, who pulled a large red lever marked Do Not Pull. Gears spun somewhere inside Hex. Little trapdoors opened in the ant farms and millions of ants began to scurry along the network of glass tubing. Ponder tapped at the huge wooden keyboard. Beats me how you fellows remember how to do all this stuff, <laughs> said Redcully, still watching him with what Ponder considered to be amused interest. Oh, it's largely intuitive, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder. Obviously, you have to spend a lot of time learning it first, though. Uh, now then, Bursa, he added, if you'd just like to say something. He says, say something, Bursa, yelled Ridcully helpfully into Bursa's ear. Corkscrew? It's a tickler. Uh, that's what Nanny says, said the bursar. Things started to spin inside Hex. At the back of the room, a huge converted water wheel covered with sheep skulls began to turn ponderously, and the quill pen in its network of springs and guiding arms started to write. Plus, plus, plus. Why do you think you are a tickler? Plus, plus, plus. For a moment, the bursar hesitated. Then he said, I've got a spoon of my own, you know. Plus, plus, plus. Tell me about your spoon, plus, plus, plus. Uh, it's a little spoon. Plus, plus, plus. Does your spoon worry you? Plus, plus, plus. 
the bursar frowned. Then he seemed to rally. Whoops! <laughs> Here comes Mr. Jelly, he said, but he didn't sound as though his heart was in it. Plus, plus, plus. How long have you been Mr. Jelly? Plus, plus, plus. The bursar glared. Are you making fun of me? he said. Amazing, said Ridcully. It got him stumped. It's better than dried frog pills. How'd you work it out? Um, said Ponder, it sort of just happened. Amazing, said Ridcully. He knocked the ashes out of his pipe on Hex's anthill inside sticker, causing Ponder to wince. This thing's a kind of big artificial brain, then. You could think of it like that, said Ponder carefully. Of course, Hex doesn't actually think, not as such. It just appears to be thinking. Ah, like the Dean, said Ridcully. Any chance of fitting a brain like this into the Dean's head? It does weigh ten tons, Arch-Chancellor. Ah, really? Ooh, hmm, quite a large crowbar would be in order then. Hmm. He paused and then reached into his pocket. I knew I'd come here for something, he added. Here, this here chappy is the Veruca Gnome. Hello, said the Veruca Gnome shyly who seems to have popped into existence to be with us here tonight. And, you know, I thought, this is a bit odd. <laughs> of course, there's always something a bit unreal about Hogswatch Night, said Ridcully, last night of the year and so on, Hogfather whizzing around and so forth, time of the darkest shadows and so on, all the old year's occult rubbish piling up. Anything could happen. I just thought you fellows might check up on this. Probably nothing to worry about. A Veruca gnome, said Ponder. The gnome clutched his sack protectively. Makes about as much sense as a lot of things, I suppose, said Ridcully. After all, there's a tooth fairy, ain't there? You might as well wonder why we have a god of wine and not a god of hangovers. He stopped. Anyone else hear that noise just then? He said. Sorry, Arch-Chancellor? Sort of glingalingalingalingaling, like uh, tinkly little bells. Didn't hear anything like that, sir. Oh, Ridcully shrugged. Anyway, what was I saying? Ah, yes, yes. No one's ever heard of a Veruca gnome until tonight. That's right, said the gnome. Even I've never heard of me until tonight, and I'm me. We'll see what we can find out, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder diplomatically. Good man. Ridcully put the gnome back in his pocket and looked up at Hex. Amazing, he said again. He just looks as though he's thinking, right? Er, uh, yes. But he's not actually thinking. Er, uh, no. So he just gives the impression of thinking, hmm? But really it's just a show. Er, uh, yes. Just like everyone else then, really, said Ridcully. The boy gave the Hogfather an appraising stare as he sat down on the official knee. Let's be absolutely clear. I know you're just someone dressed up he said. The Hogfather is a biological and temporal impossibility. I hope we understand one another. Ah, so I don't exist. Correct. This is just a bit of seasonal frippery, and I may say rampantly commercial. My mother's already bought my presents. I instructed her as to the right ones, of course. She often gets things wrong. The Hogfather glanced briefly at the smiling, worried image of maternal ineffectiveness hovering nearby. How old are you, boy? The child rolled his eyes. You're not supposed to say that, he said. I have done this before, you know. You have to start by asking me my name. Aaron Fidget, The Pines, Edgeway Road, Ankh-Morpork. Uh, I expect someone told you, 
said Aaron. I expect these people dressed up as pixies get the information from the mothers. And you are eight? Going on, oh, about forty-five, said the Hogfather. There's forms to fill in when they pay, I expect, said Aaron. And you want walnuts, inoffensive reptiles of the Stowe Plains, a display cabinet, a collector's album, a killing jar, and a lizard press. What is a lizard press? You can't glue them in when they're still fat, or didn't you know that? I expect she told you about them when I was momentarily distracted by the display of pencils. Look, shall we end this, Sherard? Just give me my orange and we'll say no more about it. I can give far more than oranges. Yes, yes, I saw all that. Probably done in collusion with accomplices to attract gullible customers. Oh dear, you've even got a false beard. By the way, old chap, did you know that your pig... Yes. All done by mirrors and string and pipes, I expect. It all looked very artificial to me. The hogfather snapped his fingers. That's probably a signal, I expect, said the boy, getting down. Thank you very much. Happy Hogswatch, said the hogfather as the boy walked away. Uncle Heavy patted him on the shoulder. Well done, master, he said. Very patient. I'd have given him a clonk athwart the ear hole myself. Oh, I'm sure he'll see the error of his ways. The red hood turned so that only Albert could see into its depths. Right around the time he opens those boxes his mother was carrying. Ho, ho, ho. Don't tie it so tight. Don't tie it so tight. Squeak. There was a bickering behind Susan as she sought along the shelves in the canyons of Death's huge library, which was so big that clouds would form in it if they dared. Right, right said the voice she was trying to ignore. That's about right. I've got to be able to move my wings, right? Squeak! Ah, said Susan under her breath, the Hogfather. He had several shelves, not just one book. The first volume seemed to be written on a roll of animal skin. The Hogfather was old. OK, OK. How does it look? Squeak! Miss, said the raven, seeking a second opinion. Susan looked up. The raven bounced past, its breast bright red. Twit, twit, it said. Bobbly, bobbly, bop. Hop, hop, hopping along. You're fooling no one but yourself, said Susan. I can see the string. She unrolled the scroll. Maybe I should sit on a snowy log, mumbled the raven behind her. That's probably the trick right enough. I can't read this said Susan. The letters are all odd. Ethereal runes, said the raven. The hog father ain't human after all. Susan ran her hands over the thin leather. The shapes flowed around her fingers. She couldn't read them, but she could feel them. There was the sharp smell of snow, so vivid that her breath condensed in the air. There were sounds, hooves, the snap of branches in a freezing forest. A bright, shining ball... Susan jerked awake and thrust the scroll aside. She unrolled the next one, which looked as though it was made of strips of bark. Characters hovered over the surface. Whatever they were, they had never been designed to be read by the eye. You could believe they were a braille for the touching mind. Images ribboned across her senses. Wet fur, sweat, pine, soot, iced air, the tang of damp ash, pigship, manure, her governess mind hastily corrected. There was blood and the taste of beans? It was all images without words. Almost animal. But none of this is right, 
Everyone knows he's a jolly old fat man who hands out presents to kids, she said aloud. Is, is, not was. You know how it is, said the raven. Do I? It's like, you know, industrial retraining, said the bird. Even gods have to move with the times, am I right? He was probably quite different thousands of years ago, stands to reason. No one wore stockings, for one thing. He scratched at his beak. Yes, he continued expansively. He was probably just your basic winter demiurge. You know, blood on the snow, making the sun come up. Starts off with animal sacrifice, you know. Hunt some big hairy animal to death, that kind of stuff. You know, there's some people up on the ramtops who kill a wren at Hog's Watch and walk around from house to house singing about it. With a whack follow, diddle diddle do. Very folkloric, very mythic. A wren? Why? I don't know. Maybe someone said, hey, how'd you like to hunt this evil bastard of an eagle with his big sharp beak and great ripping talons, sort of thing? Or how about instead you hunt this wren, which is basically about the size of a pea, and goes, Tweet. go on, you choose. Anyway, then later on it sinks to the level of religion, and then they start this business where some poor bugger finds a special bean in his tucker. Oh, ho, oh, everyone says, you're king, mate, and he thinks, this is a bit of all right, only they don't say it wouldn't be a good idea to start any long books. "'Cause next thing he's legging it over the snow with a dozen other buggers, "'chasing him with holy sickles, so's the earth'll come to life again, "'and all this snow'll go away. "'Very, you know, ethnic. "'Then some bright spark thought, "'Hey, looks like that damn sun comes up anyway. "'So how come we're giving those druids all this free grub? "'Next thing you know, there's a job vacancy. "'That's the thing about gods, they'll always find a way to, you know... Hang on. The damn sun comes up anyway, Susan repeated. How do you know that? Oh, observation. Happens every morning. I've seen it. I meant all that stuff about holy sickles and things. The raven contrived to look smug. Very occult bird, you basic raven, he said. Blind Eo, the thunder god, used to have these mythic ravens that flew everywhere and told him everything that was going on. Used to? Well, you know, he's not got eyes in his face. Just these, like, you know, free-floating eyeballs that go and zoom around. The raven coughed in specious embarrassment. Bit of an accident uh, waiting to happen, really. Do you ever think of anything except eyeballs? Well, there's entrails. Squeak! He's right, though, said Susan. Gods don't die. Never completely die. There's always somewhere, she told herself, inside some stone, perhaps, or the words of a song, or riding the mind of some animal, or maybe in a whisper on the wind. They never entirely go. They hang on to the world by the tip of a fingernail, always fighting to find a way back. Once a god, always a god. Dead, perhaps, but only like the world in winter. All right, she said. Let's see what happened to him. She reached out for the last book and tried to open it at random. The feeling lashed at her out of the book like a whip. Hooves, fear, blood, snow, cold, night. She dropped the scroll. It slammed shut. Squeak? I'm all right. He looked down at the book and knew that she'd been given a friendly warning, such as a pet animal might give when it was crazed with pain, but 
just still tame enough not to claw and bite the hand that fed it this time. Wherever the hogfather was, dead, alive, somewhere, he wanted to be left alone. She eyed the death of rats. His little sockets flared blue in a disconcertingly familiar way. Squeak, eek! The rat says if he wanted to find out about the hogfather, he'd go to the Castle of Bones. Oh, that's just a nursery tale, said Susan. That's where the letters are supposed to go that are posted up the chimney. That's just an old story. She turned. The rat and the raven were staring at her, and she realised that she'd been too normal. Squeak! The rat says, what do you mean, just, said the raven. Chicken wire sidled towards Medium Dave in the garden, if you could call it a garden. It was the land around the house, if you could call it a house. No one said much about it, but every so often you just had to get out. It didn't feel right inside. He shivered. Uh, uh, where's himself, he said. Oh, up at the top, said Medium Dave, still trying to open that room. The, uh, the one with all the locks? Yeah. Medium Dave was rolling a cigarette. Inside the house, or tower, or both, or whatever, you couldn't smoke, not properly. When you smoked inside, it tasted horrible and you felt sick. Uh, what for? We'd done what we came to do, didn't we? <laughs> Stood there like a bunch of kids and watched that wet wizard do all his chanting. It was all I could do to keep a straight face. <laughs> What's he after now? He just said if it was locked that bad, he wanted to see inside. I thought we were supposed to <laughs> to do what we came for and, and, and go. Yeah, you tell him. Want to roll up? Chicken Wire took the bag of tobacco and relaxed. Ooh, I've seen some bad places in my time, but this takes the serious biscuit. Yeah. It's the cute that wears you down, and there's got to be something else to eat than apples. Yeah, and that damn sky. That damn sky is really getting on my nerves. Yeah. They kept their eyes averted from that damn sky. For some reason, it made you feel that it was about to fall on you, and it was worse if you let your eyes stray to the gap where a gap shouldn't be. The effect was like getting a toothache in your eyeballs. In the distance, Banjo was swinging on a swing. Odd that, Dave thought. Banjo seemed perfectly happy here. He found a tree that grows lollipops yesterday, he said moodily. Well, I say yesterday, but how can you tell? And he follows the man around like a dog. No one ever laid a punch on Banjo since our man died. He's just like a little boy, you know, inside. Always has been. Looks to me for everything. Used to be, if I told him, punch someone, he'd do it. And they stay punched. Yeah. Now he follows him around everywhere. It makes me sick. What are you doing here, then? Ten thousand dollars. And he says there's more, you know, more than we can imagine. He was always tea time. He ain't just after money. Yeah, well, I didn't sign up for world domination, said Medium Dave. That sort of thing gets you into trouble. I remember your ma'am saying that sort of thing, said Chicken Wire. Medium Dave rolled his eyes. Everyone remembered Ma Lillywhite. Very straight lady was your Ma. Hm. Tough, but fair. Yeah, tough. I recall that time she uh, she strangled Glossy Ron with his own leg. Chicken Wire went on. She had a wicked right arm on her, your man. Yeah, wicked. She wouldn't have stood for someone like tea time. Yeah, said Medium Dave. That was a lovely funeral you boys gave her. Most of the shades turned up. Hmm. Very respectful, all them flowers, and everyone looking so... Chicken wire floundered. Happy? Uh, in a sad way, of course. Yeah. 
You got any idea how to get back home? Medium Dave shook his head. Hmm. Me, uh, me neither. <laughs> Find the place again, I suppose? Chicken Wire shivered. I mean, <laughs> what he did to that carter, I mean, well, I wouldn't even act like that to me own dad. Yeah. Ordinary mental, yeah. <laughs> I can deal with that, but he can be talking quite normal. And then, yeah. Maybe the both of us could creep up on him and... Uh, yeah, yeah. And how long will we live? In seconds. We could get lucky, Chicken Wire began. Yeah, you've seen him. This isn't one of those blokes who threatens you. This is one of those blokes who'd kill you as soon as look at you. Easier, too. We've got to hang on, right? It's like that saying about riding a tiger. Uh, what's saying about riding a tiger? said Chicken Wire suspiciously. Well... Medium Dave hesitated. Yeah, well, you get branches slapping you in the face. Fleas, that sort of thing. So you got to hang on. Think of the money. There's bags of it in there. You saw it. I keep thinking of that glass eye <laughs> watching me. I keep thinking it can see right in my head. Don't worry. He doesn't suspect you of anything. How do you know? You're still alive, yeah? In the grotto of the Hogfather, a round-eyed child. Happy Hogswatch, ho, ho, ho. And your name is Euphrasia Goat, correct? Go on, dear. Answer the nice man. Yes. And you are six years old. Go on, dear. They're all the same at this age, aren't they? Yes. And you want a pony? Yes. A small hand pulled the Hogfather's hood down to mouth level. Heavy Uncle Albert heard a ferocious whispering. Then the Hogfather leaned back. Yes, I know. What a naughty pig it was indeed. His shape flickered for a moment and then a hand went into the sack. Here is a bridle for your pony and a saddle and a rather strange hard hat and a pair of those trousers that make you look as though you have a large rabbit in each pocket. But we can't have a pony, can we, Yuffie? Because we live on the third floor. Oh, yes. It's in the kitchen. I'm sure you're making a little joke, Hogfather, said Mother sharply. Ho, ho, yes. What a jolly fat man I am. In the kitchen? What a joke. Dollies and so on will be delivered later as per your letter. What do you say, Yuffie? Thank you. Here, you didn't really put a pony in their kitchen, did you? said heavy Uncle Albert as the line moved on. Don't be foolish, Albert. I said that to be jolly. Oh, right. <laughs> For a minute. It's in the bedroom. Ah, oh, more hygienic. Well, it'll make sure of one thing, said Albert. Third floor, they're going to believe all right. Yes. You know, I think I'm getting the hang of this. Ho, ho, ho! At the hub of the Discworld, the snow burned blue and green. The aurora corialis hung in the sky, curtains of pale cold fire that circled the central mountains and cast their spectral light over the ice. They billowed, swirled, and then trailed a ragged arm on the end of which was a tiny dot that became, when the eye of imagination drew nearer, Binky. He trotted to a halt and stood on the air. Susan looked down and then found what she was looking for. 
At the end of a valley of snow-mounded trees, something gleamed brightly, reflecting the sky. The Castle of Bones. Her parents had set her down one day when she was about six or seven and explained how such things as the Hogfather did not really exist, how they were pleasant little stories that it was fun to know, how they were not real, and she had believed it. All the fairies and bogeymen, all those stories from the blood and bone of humanity, were not really real. They'd lied. A seven-foot skeleton had turned out to be her grandfather. Not a flesh-and-blood grandfather, obviously, but a grandfather, you could say, in the bone. Binky touched down and trotted over the snow. Was the Hogfather a god? Why not, thought Susan. There were sacrifices, after all. All that sherry and pork pie and he made commandments and rewarded the good, and he knew what you were doing. If you believed, nice things happened to you. Sometimes you found him in a grotto, and sometimes he was up there in the sky. The Castle of Bones loomed over her now. It certainly deserved the capital letters, up this close. She'd seen a picture of it in one of the children's books. Despite its name, the woodcut artist had endeavoured to make it look, sort of, jolly. It wasn't jolly. The pillars at the entrance were hundreds of feet high. Each of the steps leading up was taller than a man. They were the grey-green of old ice. Ice, not bone. There were faintly familiar shapes to the pillars, possibly a suggestion of femur or skull, but it was made of ice. Binky was not challenged by the high stairs. It wasn't that he flew, it was simply that he walked on a ground level of his own devising. Snow had blown over the ice. Susan looked down at the drifts. Death left no tracks, but there were the faint outlines of booted footprints. She'd be prepared to bet they belonged to Albert. And, yes, half obscured by the snow, it looked as though a sledge had stood there. Animals had milled around, but the snow was covering everything. She dismounted. This was certainly the place described, but it still wasn't right. It was supposed to be a blaze of light and a buzz with activity, but it looked like a giant mausoleum. A little way beyond the pillars was a very large slab of ice cracked into pieces. Far above, stars were visible through the hole it had left in the roof. Even as she stared up, a few small lumps of ice thumped into a snowdrift. The raven popped into existence and fluttered wearily onto a stump of ice beside her. "'This place is a morgue,' said Susan. "'It's going to be mine if I do any more flying tonight.' panted the raven as the death of rats got off its back. I never sign up for all this long-distance, faster-in-time stuff. I should be back in a forest somewhere making excitingly decorated constructions to attract females. That's bowerbirds, said Susan. Ravens don't do that. Oh, so it's typecasting now, is it? said the raven. I'm missing meals here, you do know that. It swivelled its independently sprung eyes. So... "'Where's all the lights?' it said. "'Where's all the noise? "'Where's all the jolly little buggers in pointy hats "'and red and green suits hitting wooden toys "'unconvincingly yet rhythmically with hammers?' "'This is more like the temple of some old thunder god,' said Susan. "'Squeak!' "'No, I read the map right.' "'Anyway, Albert's been here too. "'There's fag ash all over the place.' "'The rat jumped down and walked around for a moment, "'bony snout near the ground.' After a few moments of snuffling, it gave a squeak and hurried off into the gloom. Susan followed. As her eyes grew more accustomed to the faint blue-green light, she made out something rising out of the floor. It was a pyramid of steps, with a big chair on top. Behind her, a pillar groaned and twisted slightly. 
squeak. That rat says this place reminds him of some old mine, said the raven. You know, after it's been deserted and no one's been paying any attention to the roof supports and so on, mm, we see a lot of them. At least these steps were human-sized, Susan thought, ignoring the chatter. Snow had come in through another gap in the roof. Albert's footprints had stamped around quite a lot here. Maybe the old hog father crashed his sleigh, the raven suggested. Squeak? Well, it could have happened. Pigs are not notably aerodynamic, are they? And with all this snow, you know, poor visibility, big cloud ahead turns out too late to be a mountain. There's buggers in saffron robes looking down at you. Poor devil tries to remember whether you're supposed to shove someone's head between your legs, then wham! And it's all over, bar some lucky mountaineers making an awful lot of sausages and finding the flight recorder. Squeak! Yes, but he's an old man. Probably shouldn't be in the sky at his time of life. Susan pulled at something half-buried in the snow. It was a red and white striped candy cane. She kicked the snow aside elsewhere and found a wooden toy soldier in the kind of uniform that would only be inconspicuous if you wore it in a nightclub for chameleons on hard drugs. Some further probing found a broken trumpet. There was some more groaning in the darkness. The raven cleared its throat. Ugh, what the rat meant about this place being like a mine, he said, was that abandoned mines tend to creak and groan in the same way, see? No one looking after the pit props. Things fall in. Next thing you know, you're a squiggle in the sandstone. We shouldn't hang around, is what I'm saying. Susan walked further in, lost in thought. This was all wrong. The place looked as though it had been deserted for years, which couldn't be true. The column nearest her creaked and twisted slightly. A fine haze of ice crystals dropped from the roof. Of course, this wasn't exactly a normal place. You couldn't build an ice palace this big. It was a bit like Death's house. If he abandoned it for too long, all those things that had been suspended, like time and physics, would roll over it. It would be like a dam bursting. She turned to leave and heard the groan again. It wasn't dissimilar to the tortured sounds being made by the ice, except that ice afterwards didn't moan, Oh, me! There was a figure lying in a snowdrift. She'd almost missed it because it was wearing a long white robe. It was spread-eagled as though it had planned to make snow angels and had then decided against it. And it wore a little crown, apparently of vine leaves. And it kept groaning. She looked up. The roof was open here, too. But no one could have fallen that far and survived. No one human, anyway. He looked human, and in theory quite young. But it was only in theory because even by the second-hand light of the glowing snow, his face looked like someone had been sick with it. "'Are you all right?' she ventured. The recumbent figure opened its eyes and stared straight up. "'Oh, I wish I was dead,' it moaned. A piece of ice the size of a house fell down in the far depths of the building and exploded in a shower of sharp little shards. "'You may have come to the right place,' said Susan. She grabbed the boy under his arms and hauled him out of the snow. I think leaving would be a very good idea around now, don't you? This place is going to fall apart. Oh, me. She managed to get one of his arms around her neck. Can you walk? Oh, me. It might help if you stopped saying that and tried walking. I'm sorry, but I seem to have too many legs. Ow. 
Susan did her best to prop him up as, swaying and slipping, they made their way back to the exit. My head, said the boy. My head. My head. My head feels awful. My head feels like someone's hitting it. My head with a hammer. Someone was. There was a small green and purple imp sitting amid the damp curls and holding a very large mallet. It gave Susan a friendly nod and brought the hammer down again. Oh, me! That wasn't necessary, said Susan. You telling me my job, said the imp. I suppose you could do it better, could you? I wouldn't do it at all. Well, someone's got to do it, said the imp. He's part of the arrangement, said the boy. Yeah, see, said the imp. Can you hold the hammer while I go and coat his tongue with yellow gunk? Get down right now. Susan made a grab for the creature. It leapt away, still clutching the hammer, and grabbed a pillar. I'm part of the arrangement, I am, it yelled. The boy clutched his head. Oh, I feel awful, he said. Have you got any ice? Whereupon, because there are conventions stronger than mere physics, the building fell in. The collapse of the Castle of Bones was stately and impressive and seemed to go on for a long time. Pillars fell in, the slabs of the roof slid down, the ice crackled and splintered, the air above the tumbling wreckage filled with a haze of snow and ice crystals. Susan watched from the trees. The boy, who she'd leaned against a handy trunk, opened his eyes. Oh, that was amazing, he managed. Why, you mean the way it's all turning back into snow? The way you just picked me up and ran. Ouch! Oh, that! The grinding of the ice continued. The fallen pillars didn't stop moving when they collapsed, but went on tearing themselves apart. When the fog of ice settled, there was nothing but drifted snow. As though it was never there, said Susan aloud. She turned to the groaning figure. All right, what were you doing there? I don't know. I just opened my... Eyes, and there I was. Who are you? I think my name is Bilius. I'm the, uh, I'm, uh, the, oh, I'm the, oh, God of hangovers. There's a God of hangovers? An, oh, God, he corrected. When people witness me, you see, they clutch their head and say, oh, God. How many of you are standing here? What? There's just me. Oh, fine, fine. I've never heard of a god of hangovers. You've heard of Bibulus, the god of wine? Ah, ouch! Oh, yes. Big, fat man wears vine leaves around his head, always pictured with a glass in his hand. Ow! Well, you know why he's so cheerful? Him and his big face... It's because he knows he's going to feel good in the morning. It's because it's me that gets the hangovers, said Susan. I don't even drink. Ah, but who is it who ends up head down in the privy every morning? Oh, God. He stopped and clutched at his head. Should your skull feel like it's lined with dog hair? I don't think so. Ah, oh, Billius swayed. You know when people say... I had fifteen lagers last night, and when I woke up, my head was clear as a bell. Oh, yes. Bastards. That's because I was the one who woke up groaning in a pile of recycled chilli. 
Just once, I, I mean just once, I'd like to open my eyes in the morning without my head sticking to something. He paused. Are there any giraffes in this wood? Up here, I shouldn't think so. He looked nervously past Susan's head. Not even indigo-coloured ones which are sort of stretched and keep flashing on and off? Very unlikely. Thank goodness for that. He swayed back and forth. Excuse me, I think I'm about to throw up my breakfast. It's the middle of the evening. Is it? In that case, I think I'm about to throw up my dinner. He folded up gently in the snow behind the tree. He's a long streak of whittle, isn't he? said a voice from a branch. It was the raven. Got a neck with a knee in it. The O-God reappeared after a noisy interlude. I know I must eat, he mumbled. It's just that the only time I remember seeing my food is always going the other way. What were you doing in there, said Susan. Ouch! Oh, search me, said the O-God. It's only a mercy I wasn't holding a, a traffic sign and wearing a... He winced and paused having some kind of woman's underwear about my person. He sighed. Someone, somewhere, has a lot of fun, he said wistfully. I wish it was me. Get a drink inside you, that's my advice, said the raven. Have a hair of the dog that bit someone else. But why there, Susan insisted. The old god stopped trying to glare at the raven. I don't know. Where was there, exactly? Susan looked back at where the castle had been. It was entirely gone. There was a very important building there a moment ago, she said. The O-God nodded carefully. I often see things that weren't there a moment ago, he said, and they often aren't there a moment later, which is a blessing in, in most cases, let me tell you, so I don't usually take a lot of notice. He folded up and landed in the snow again. There's just snow now, Susan thought. Nothing but snow and the wind. There's not even a ruin. The certainty stole over her again that the Hogfather's castle wasn't simply not there anymore. No, it had never been there. There was no ruin, no trace. It had been an odd enough place. It was where the Hogfather lived, according to the legends, which was odd when you thought about it. It didn't look like the kind of place a cheery old toy-maker would live in. The wind soft in the trees behind them. Snow slid off the branches. Somewhere in the dark there was a flurry of hooves. A spidery little figure leapt off a snowdrift and landed on the O-God's head. It turned a beady eye up towards Susan. All right by you, is it? said the imp, producing its huge hammer. Some of us have a job to do, you know, even if we are of a metaphorical, nay, a folkloric persuasion. Oh, go away! If you think I'm bad, wait till you see the little pink elephants, said the imp. I don't believe you. They come out of his ears and fly around his head, making tweeting noises. Ah, said the raven sagely, that sounds more like robins. I wouldn't put anything past them. The O-God grunted. Susan suddenly felt that she didn't want to leave him. He was human, well, human-shaped. Well, at least he had two arms and legs. He'd freeze to death here. Of course, gods, or even O-gods, probably couldn't, but humans didn't think like that. You couldn't just leave someone. She prided herself on this bit of normal thinking. Besides, he might have some answers, if she could make him stay awake enough to understand the questions. 
From the edge of the frozen forest, animal eyes watched them go. Mr. Crumbly sat on the damp stairs and sobbed. He couldn't get any nearer to the toy department. Every time he tried, he got lifted off his feet by the mob and dumped at the edge of the crowd by the current of people. Someone said, Top of the evening, squire. And he looked up, blearily, at the small yet irregularly formed figure that had addressed him thusly. Are you one of the pixies? he said, after mentally exhausting all the other possibilities. No, sir. I am not, in fact, a pixie, sir. I am, in fact, Corporal Nobbs of the Watch, and this is Constable Visit, sir. The creature looked at a piece of paper in its paw. You, Mr. Crummy? Crumley? Yeah, right. You sent a runner to the watch house, and we have hereby responded with commendable speed, sir, said Corporal Nobbs. Despite its being Hogswatch night and there being a lot of strange things happening, and most importantly, it being the occasion of our Hogswatchly piss up, sir. But this is all right because Washpot, that's Constable Visit here, he doesn't drink, sir, it being against his religion. And although I do drink, sir, I volunteered to come because it is my civic duty, sir. Nobby tore off a salute, or what he likes to believe was a salute. He did not add, and turning out for a rich bugger such as your good self is bound to put the officer concerned in the way of a seasonal bottle or two of some other tangible evidence of gratitude, because his entire stance said it for him. Even Nobby's ears could look suggestive. Unfortunately, Mr Crumley wasn't in the right receptive frame of mind. He stood up and waved a shaking finger towards the top of the stairs. I, I want you to go up there, he said, and arrest him. Arrest who, sir? said Corporal Nobbs. The hog father. What for, sir? Because he's sitting up there as bold as brass in his grotto, giving away presents. Corporal Nobbs thought about this. You've been having a festive drink, have you, sir? he said, hopefully. I do not drink. Very wise, sir, said Constable Visit. Alcohol is the tarnish of the soul. Ossery, Book 2, verse 24. Not quite up to speed here, sir, said Corporal Nobbs, looking perplexed. I thought the Hogfather is supposed to give away stuff, innit? This time Mr Crumley had to stop and think. Up until now he hadn't quite sorted things out in his head, other than recognising their essential wrongness. This one is an imposter, he declared. Yes, that's right, he smashed his way into here. You know, I always thought that, said Nobby. I thought every year the Hogfather spends a fortnight sitting in a wooden grotto in his shop in Aunt Moorpork. At his busy time, too, <laughs> Not likely. Probably just some old man in a beard, I thought. I meant he's not the hogfather we usually have, said Crumley, struggling for firmer ground. He just barged in here. Oh, a different imposter. Not the real imposter at all. Well, yes, uh, no. And started giving stuff away, said Corporal Nobbs. That's what I said. That's got to be a crime, hasn't it? Corporal Nobbs rubbed his nose. Well, nearly he conceded, not wishing to totally relinquish the chance of any festive remuneration. Realisation dawned. He's given away your stuff, sir. No, no, he, he brought it in with him. Eh? Giving away your stuff now. If he was doing that, yes, I could see the problem. That's a sure sign of crime, stuff going missing. Stuff turning up? Whoa, that's a tricky one. Unless it's stuff like arms and legs, of course. We'd be on safer ground if he was nicking stuff, sir, to tell you the truth. This is a shop, 
said Mr. Crumley, finally getting to the root of the problem. We do not give merchandise away. How can we expect people to buy things if some person is giving them away? Now, please go and get him out of here. Arrest the Hogfather style of thing? Yes. On Hogswatch night? Yes. In your shop? Yes. In front of all those kiddies? Ye Mr. Crumley hesitated. To his horror, he realised that Corporal Nobbs, against all expectation, had a point. You think that will look bad, he said. Hard to see how it could look good, sir. Could you not do it surreptitiously, he said. Ah, oh, well, surreptition, yes, we could give that a try, said Corporal Nobbs. The sentence hung in the air with its hand out. You won't find me ungrateful, said Mr Crumley at last. Just you leave it to us, said Corporal Nobbs, magnanimous in victory. You just nip down to your office and treat yourself to a nice cup of tea and we'll sort this out in no time. You'll be ever so grateful. Crumley gave him a look of a man in the grip of serious doubt, but staggered away nonetheless. Corporal Nobbs rubbed his hands together. You don't have Ogs watch back where you come from, do you, Washpot? he said as they climbed the stairs to the first floor. Look at this carpet, you'd think a pig had pissed on it. We call it the Fast of St Ossery, said Visit, who was from Omnia. But it is not an occasion for superstition and crass commercialism. We simply get together in family groups for a prayer meeting and a fast. What, turkey and chicken and that? A fast, Corporal Nobbs. We don't eat anything. Oh, right, well. Each to his own, I suppose. And at least you don't have to get up early in the morning and find that the nothing you've got is too big to fit in the oven. No presents, neither? They stood aside hurriedly as two children scuttled down the stairs, carrying a large toy boat between them. It is sometimes appropriate to exchange new religious pamphlets, and of course there are usually copies of The Book of Ossery for the children, said Constable Visit, sometimes with illustrations he added, in the guarded way of a man hinting at licentious pleasures. A small girl went past carrying a teddy bear larger than herself. It was pink. They always gives me bath salts, complained Nobby, and bath soap and bubble bath and herbal bath lumps and tons of bath stuff, and I can't think why, because it's not as if I hardly ever has a bath. You'd think they'd take the in, wouldn't you? Abominable, I call it, said Constable Visit. The first floor was a mob. Eh, look at him. Mr Hogfather never brought me anything when I was a kid, said Corporal Nobbs, eyeing the children gloomily. I used to hang up my stocking every Hogswatch regular. All that ever happened was my dad was sick in it once. He removed his helmet. Nobby was not by any measure a hero, but there was the sudden gleam in his eye of someone who'd seen altogether too many empty stockings plus one rather full and dripping one. A scab had been knocked off some wound in the corrugated little organ of his soul. I'm going in, he said. In between the university's great hall and its main door is a rather smaller circular hall or vestibule known as Arch-Chancellor Bowell's Remembrance, although no one knows why or why an extant bequest pays for one small currant bun and one copper penny to be placed on a high stone shelf on one wall every second Wednesday. The ceremony still carries on, of course, if you left off traditions because you didn't know why they'd started, you'd be no better than a foreigner. Ridcully stood in the middle of the floor, looking upwards. Tell me, mm, senior wrangler, we never invited any women to Hogswatch Night Feast, did we? 
Of course not, Arch-Chancellor, said the senior wrangler. He looked up in the dust-covered rafters, wondering what had caught Ridcully's eye. Good heavens, no, they'd spoil everything. I've always said so. And all the, uh, maids have got the evening off until midnight? A very generous custom, I've always said, said the senior wrangler, feeling his neck crick. So why every year do we hang a damn great bunch of mistletoe up there? The senior wrangler turned in a circle, still staring upwards. Well, uh, it's, um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's symbolic, Arch-Chancellor. Huh? The senior wrangler felt that something more was expected. He groped around in the dusty attics of his education. Of the, the leaves, do you see? They're, they're symbolic of, of, of green, do you see? Whereas the berries, in fact, yes, yes, the berries symbolise, symbolise, mm, white. Yes, white and green. Mm. Very symbolic. He waited. He was not unfortunately disappointed. What of? The senior wrangler coughed. <clears throat> I'm not sure that there has to be an of, he said. Ah, so, said the Arch-Chancellor thoughtfully, it could be said that the white and green symbolise a small parasitic plant. Yes, indeed, said the senior wrangler. So mistletoe, in fact, symbolises mistletoe. Exactly, Arch-Chancellor, said the senior wrangler, who was now just hanging on. Funny thing, that, said Ridcully, in the same thoughtful tone of voice. That statement is either so deep it would take a lifetime to fully comprehend every particle of its meaning, or it is a load of absolute tosh. Which is it, I wonder? It could be both, said the senior wrangler desperately. And that comment, said Ridcully, is either very perceptive or very trite. It might be both. Don't push it, senior wrangler. There was a hammering on the outer door. Ah, that'll be the wassellers, said the senior wrangler, happy for the distraction. They call on us first every year. I personally have always liked the lily-white boys, you know. The arch-chancellor glanced up at the mistletoe, gave the beaming man a sharp look and opened the little hatch in the door. Well now, wassailing you fellows, he began. Oh well, I must say, you might have picked a better time. A hooded figure stepped through the wood of the door, carrying a limp bundle over its shoulder. The senior wrangler stepped backwards quickly. Oh, no, not tonight. And then he noticed that what he had taken for a robe had lace around the bottom, and the hood, while quite definitely a hood, was nevertheless rather more stylish than the one he had first mistaken it for. Putting down or taking away, said Ridcully. Susan pushed back her hood. I need your help, Mr. Ridcully, she said. Your... Aren't you Death's granddaughter? said Ridcully. Didn't I meet you a few... Yes, sighed Susan. And, um, are you helping out? said Ridcully. His waggling eyebrows indicated the slumbering figure over her shoulder. I need you to wake him up, said Susan. Some sort of, uh, miracle, you mean, said the senior wrangler, who was a little behind. He's not dead, said Susan. He's just resting. That's what they all say, the senior wrangler quavered. Ridcully, who was somewhat more practical, lifted the O-God's head. There was a groan. Looks a bit, uh, under the weather, he said. He's the god of hangovers, said Susan. The O-God of hangovers. Really, said Ridcully. Never had one of those myself. Funny thing, I can drink all night and feel as fresh as a daisy in the morning. The O-God's eyes opened. 
Then he soared towards Ridcully and started beating him on the chest with both fists. You utter, utter bastard. I hate you, I hate you, hate you, hate you. His eyes shut and he slid down to the floor. What was all that about? said Ridcully. I think it was some kind of nervous reaction, said Susan diplomatically. Something nasty's happened tonight. I'm hoping he can tell me what it is, but he's got to be able to think straight first. Mm, and you brought him here, said Ridcully.